following program may contain forced language, suggested dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. the Tsunami Faithful Podcast, where we are giving into our collective paranoia. I am your host, Sketch, and with me I have... Alien Renegade, who kind of isn't a part of the website anymore, but still happy to be here. And... Your favorite happy cat, happy curl kitty. And our new social media manager... Celia Rose, happy to be here. Well, I'm very happy to have these folks on for this panel to discuss this marvelous anime, Paranoia Agent which is uh, notably one of Alien's favorites. Yep, sure is. Top five. Ooh. Hi, Mark. Wow. Really? Interesting yes. choice. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to go, but I, I feel like my feelings towards Paranoia Agent have shifted over the course of rewatching it as opposed to how I felt about it way back when it first aired on Adult Swim. But we don't need to get too far into that just yet. Uh, needless to say, this is a marvelously animated, very aesthetically pleasing anime from 2000, uh, 2004. It's when it originally aired in Japan. From the genius... Satoshi Kon. Who, and he rest uh, in peace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Died far too soon, and alas, this is his only TV series. Did a lot of movies, though, and you should definitely check them out. They finally dubbed Tokyo Godfathers, which is marvelous, and they did a good job dubbing that, and they recently re-released it. Well worth checking out. And, of course, there's Millennium Actress. Paprika. Paprika, yeah. And, uh... Perfect Blue. Mm-hmm. Perfect Blue. Yeah. <laughs> A.K.A. <laughs> Black Swan. Before Black Swan. <laughs> yeah, they really... Actually, a lot of filmmakers uh, borrow from Satoshi Kon. <laughs> Uh, uh, notably Christopher Nolan with uh, a, a sequence from Millennium Actress being used in uh, uh, Inception? Yeah. I can't, how can I forget the name of Inception? <laughs> I'm just thinking Ooh, of that Inception bit on, is, on Rick Inception and Morty is. where it's like, are you saying that the movie that everybody loves is stupid? <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh, Inception more or less is Paprika remix though, so I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of people take influence from Satoshi Kon's work, and with good reason. He he sells a very interesting visual story in all of his work, mm-hmm. and I feel Paranoia Agent is no exception, as there are some episodes that are just 
astonishing, unsettling, just, you never quite know where it's going to go. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say, it's really interesting sketch that you refer to it as beautifully innovated, and, and I'm inclined to agree, but I sort of uh, looked over what other people in the community said, and some some actually found the animation style, the art style, uh, a bit, um, uh, the, the, how do I say, um, sort of childish, if you will, like a step backwards from where animation had gone in that direction. Now, I disagree, but I think that, you know, bringing up that viewpoint, that dislike of that style, it probably goes hand in hand with just, you know, the, the, the cerebral nature of this specific show being uh, people having antipathy towards it. But I, hmm. I, I found it perfect for the subject matter of, you know, th this particular style of animation paired really well with with what the show was about, this this imaginative and reality mixing with with uh what was what wasn't and what was real if, if that makes sense mm. I, I think that the character designs look pretty good and it's actually masashi ando has worked with Satoshi Kon on previous projects like tokyo godfathers but what i found was that like most anime from the early and mid 2000s that it mm -hmm. did not age well Mm. It's from that, it's from that digi-paint era. So even though I think that the characters look fine and there's not very many instances where anyone goes off model without it being on purpose, mm -hmm. the colors just don't look very good. <laughs> and, and that's mm. really a result of the technology of the time. And that's something when you go back to older projects, you'll see that, you know, just like when you look at things that were animated on cell sheets mm -hmm. and you see the errors with Xerox lines and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Paranoia Agent in particular suffers from it. Like, even though it has that little bit of that DigiPaint era ugliness, mm -hmm. um, I still think that it looks pretty solid. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree with that. Yeah. It's unfortunate that there, there isn't possible a better upscale because mm -hmm. it doesn't really do the show justice, but mm -hmm. it still looks pretty good at the least serviceable. But you can definitely see the quality of the animation itself and how they're able to employ all manner of techniques to, you know, make the visuals go any way that they want to, really. And I think the flexibility in that makes for lots of scenes that are pleasant and lots of scenes that are unpleasant. <laughs> Absolutely. So what was everybody's initial impression of the show. Let's say starting at episode one, what were your feelings towards it after you saw that first episode? Uh, unsettling. And, and that was my, I was pretty much the baseline that stayed with me through the whole series, though it, it changed of course with each specific episode, but I, I, I felt somewhat confused, but very intrigued. I think that wraps up, you know, my, my first impressions from episode one. How about you, Celia? For me, this time, I actually was had the impression of I'm ready to view this in full because I watched this when it was on Adult Swim back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And back then, I was like 13, 14, and this show creeped me out, and it scared me, and I couldn't finish it. 
Mm-hmm. So this time watching it on Tsunami and live tweeting about it for the Tsunami Faithful account, I was like, okay, I'm ready. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I went to school for psychology. So I'm like, I can't wait to like apply some of the stuff I learned in college and see if I can pick up some things now, not just as an adult, but also someone who like really, who specialized in that field of study. Um, so after the first episode, I was like, okay, here we go. I'm ready for this roller coaster ride and going to see where it's going to take us. Do you feel like you picked up more this time around? I mean, using, employing those tools? I think so. And I think also as an adult, compared to when I was watching anime when I was younger, that I pay more attention to human element stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something I've been noticing when I revisited some other shows that I watched for the first time when I was a teenager. Um, Because those are things that when you're younger, you don't necessarily think about. I think think if I had finished this show when I was a teenager, that I may not have been able to identify very much with our core trio of characters mm-hmm. with the two detectives and then with Tsukiko and really understand what's going on. Um, and really, especially the wife of detector, what's his name? Detective Kenichi with her episode in particular, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is really heart wrenching to see what's going on with her. So that I think that's an excellent episode. Right. Yeah. So I think that just the perspective of being older plus what I learned in school, I was able to pick up on some things that I may not have noticed before without that. Mm. Yeah, I I couldn't watch it when it first came out. I remember seeing it in in a uh in passing and I don't remember which episode it was, but it just it didn't appeal to me at the time and I I didn't have the interest in it, but now as you say, with the the more wisdom and experience, it, it 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 was it drew me in more than it would have, and also it gave me the ability to 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 really think through, you know, what was real and what wasn't. And I I found I found that the most intriguing part of each episode, trying to 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 disassemble which part were the character's imagination and which part wasn't. And especially as you progress, you start to see things kind of unravel, but there's very clearly some incidences of violence. It's just even at the end, I I still can't discern which attacks were real and which weren't, you know, and, and that that's the part that I I think as it drew me as an adult. And I don't think as a teenager, as a child, I would have been attuned to that at all. So I, I can appreciate watching it now. I'm glad they put it on 15 years later. Hmm. And Alien, what were your initial impressions? Uh, the first time I was introduced to Paranoid Agent was back when it was on Adult Swim. I ended up waking up in the middle of the night, and the first thing I saw was just, ah, yeah, and everyone <laughs> laughing. And I, and I was just That's like, a person, person. What? I was like, what, what, what is this? What is going on? Why is everyone laughing? And so I just, I was like, okay, this is really creepy. I'm going to have nightmares. I'm going to keep watching it. And then I just kept going and I'm just like, this is weird. I don't, uh, I don't get it. What's going on? And then I see that the first time I saw a little slugger, like a Tatsuki I was just like, what, 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 huh? I, I have, I have questions. I have questions and I need them to be answered. And then the episode was over and I'm just like, okay, now I got to keep watching this. How old and were so, you? I was 11. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah, like I ended up catching various episodes across its run on Adult Swim. 
And then uh, back in the few years later, back during the days of watching anime on YouTube in three parts, like <laughs> I just got I just got reminded of it again. And then I started watching this and I'm just like, OK, wow, this is creepier than I remembered it. And it was already creepy to begin with. And like when I got to episode three with um, with Harumi and her um, dissociative identity disorder, that was like when I got hooked on the series. And then I just kept watching it. And I was like, OK, I really like this show. That was such an upsetting episode to watch. She mm. She's a really interesting character and, and weirdly relatable, not to me personally, but just how human she is and how she's just struggling with her uh, personality disorder. I, I just I found that that a difficult episode to watch, but also one that I could stop watching. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I definitely thought that that episode was easily the most intriguing of the first three. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely. I I mean, <laughs> imagine having such a fight with yourself over what you want to do with your life, and she's trying to clean up her life and put away these things that could destroy her marriage, and the other part of her is like, no, you're not getting rid of me. Why can't we both exist? Who's the yeah. real one ever? <laughs> it's like, ooh, that is some serious dissociative identity disorder going on. And that was the like first answer. time that I really got a clue that the character, Little Slugger, might not be real. Because I thought that's very convenient that she she needed to have this this interference in her in her life and and it happened right on cue yes yes my initial impressions on the first episode i i don't feel like i really got much out of it until the moment when sukiko is breaking down and she needs an escape and little slugger comes out of nowhere and smacks her mm-hmm. and it's like oh well this just got interesting because <laughs> before it was you know uh a young adult struggling with adult problems which i think i definitely relate way more to now than i did <laughs> when i saw it as a teenager when my biggest problem was whether or not i got my homework done <laughs> definitely a big change there but certainly immediately I, I felt like the uh, the the visual presentation was intriguing enough on its own and I, in that first episode you have uh, the reporter doing all those impressions of her co-workers and like <laughs> You're very talented. Maybe you should be a voice actor instead of a yeah. reporter. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there's these little things that happen in the, even in that first episode that just intrigued me enough to keep going. And then in the next episode, which I have to say happened at like the height of, oh, Johnny Young Bosch is in anime now. He's playing <laughs> Ichi. And he's this smug kid 
who everybody thinks might be Little Slugger, and having him play against types when he previously was just heroic characters was so good. Mm-hmm. And honestly, he's he's talking so high that sometimes I question whether or not they like adjusted his audio. But that might be a deterioration of the sound quality from old sourcing. I don't know. I mean, he does get, he can get that high sometimes. That's oh, he can. I, I mean, as Renton, he certainly did. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, Renton and also the, um, recently the main pro tag of a high score girl. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he hits those high registers pretty damn well. And, um, and it surprises me every time. He's got an impressive range, that's for sure. Yeah, so in the second episode, it becomes clear that Little Slugger potentially will show up for anybody who's dealing with something that they feel like they have no escape from. And thus builds the mystery throughout, and these two detectives are trying to decide whether or not Sakagi's just lying or if there's actually an assailant out there and as the series progresses they come to realize that some of these events actually did happen and other than that it seems that there's some sort of manifestation of little slugger that has appeared over time and had only gotten stronger as people give into the paranoia of Little Slugger and the lore of Little Slugger grows and grows and as time progresses Little Slugger becomes a very formidable foe of which there are many stories and there's a great episode where there's these four women at a housing complex talking about all these different stories involving Little Slugger and you have more instances of characters that reach a breaking point and they are saved more or less by little slugger in one way or another though so even though the immediate pain there is some relief afterwards and you constantly see the concept of this relief playing throughout the series particularly in the ending sequence where everybody is resting peacefully with happy faces and then of course the opening <laughs> the maniacal laughing which the, i still not sure how that connects but it does it just feels appropriate somehow if i remember right it's actually something that's in the lyrics um which you don't get in the tsunami cut of the opening because it's not the full one but like mm -hmm. the opening lyric where it, uh it talks about a mushroom cloud there's actually an atomic bomb mushroom cloud in the background yes oh. The lyrics relate to the events that are occurring in the background. And that wasn't something I noticed until I was watching it this time. Um, because I would watch it ahead of time just in case there were any triggers I need to watch out for before I would yeah. live tweet it later in the evening. And um, the version I have is dual audio and would start with the lyrics up on screen. And that's when I noticed the correlation between the two. It's actually really smart. And it, really I like it a lot. Yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So as the story goes along, the two detectives uh, try to figure out the mystery of Little Slugger, and they come upon a copycat, which 
totally makes sense that eventually somebody would try to do it. I mean, what a great thing to imitate, right? <laughs> Especially this guy who thinks he's some kind of holy warrior due to his own delusions. But Good old Chinebio. Even he ends up killed by Little Slugger at some point when he reaches a breaking point behind bars even. And uh, things don't go well for the detectives as they both become disgraced and lose their jobs and go differing versions of crazy. <laughs> but it uh, eventually all comes together with them realizing the truth about Little Slugger being something that Sakiko made up when she was just a child and... Uh, lost her little dog, Maromi, and it got ran over in traffic. And she wanted to hide it from her father. So she comes up with this idea of Little Slugger. And her dad, being a nice guy that he is, just lets her get away with it. And at a time when she's feeling so much pressure about creating a new character, which can you only imagine if you made something like iconic as Mickey Mouse and then somebody said, all right, now what else you got? <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's uh, all that pressure comes to a boiling point and she calls upon Little Slugger once again. And eventually Little Slugger, as I mentioned before, becomes so powerful due to everybody's collective delusions and fears that it just ravages the whole city from top to bottom. And I find it a little strange that even though this is a fictional character that has manifested, it does real damage, and that real damage is not erased at the end. They actually have to rebuild the city and everything. And <laughs> there's some serious ramifications to people's collective delusions. It's an interesting choice, and I don't know how I feel about that ending, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, I I found it somewhat dissatisfying. The, the image at the end with the old man doing the formula and then he makes the speech, it, it's like it's some attempt to tell you that you you have everything you need to distinguish the reality from the fiction and that's all you're going to get. But at the same time, you're like, but the black cloud and the goop in the city, that's the only thing that isn't really cohesively explained. I do like the way Maromi and Little Slugger are sort of two opposing characters that you know, formulated out of this young woman's mind that give the same, that contribute to the same sort of overall uh, community delusion. You have Maromi, who's supposed to be this comforting uh, figure during this time of turmoil, and then you have the turmoil, which is a little slugger, conveniently providing something for people to gather about and talk about and find as a way to blame their problems on. Wow. So you have, you've, you have these opposing figures that, are, are balancing out, you know, for, for whatever is, is manifesting itself in this community. One of the things that was really apparent to me through watching Paranoia Agent this time is that the theme of escapism is one of the core themes for the whole series. And that escapism occurs through both 
Little Slugger and through Maromi, but through different methods. And I think that once you get to the end where he does become the big monstrous blob and is taking over the city, that's where the escapism and that line blurring between fantasy and reality for the viewer takes place. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, you're so deeply engrossed in the story, at least you should be by that, because we're at the very end. Mm-hmm. You're so deeply engrossed in the story that you're not paying attention to the world around you. You're so deeply engrossed in the story mm. that that's your, that's your fantasy. They do. The fantasy and reality lines merge. And that's where I think Colin is also trying to warn about trying to escape too much. And everyone tries to find escape for one reason or another. You know, whether it's from stress at work or, you know, if there's other things that like not accepting responsibility. That's how Little Slugger was born is uh, Tsukiko didn't want to accept responsibility for this horrid mistake that she made. She was terrified of the consequence. You know, so it's not necessarily that she did it because she was like, oh, like, it's not my fault and I'm a bad person. She was terrified. Um, and that's. A lot of people do that, and everyone seeks it through various things. Like, I'm sure a lot of people who've been stuck in quarantine have been seeking that escapism through video games or through Netflix. Um, you know, just finding different ways not to focus on the things that are difficult to accept. And by the time we got to the end, every, that's what she had to do was to accept that reality. And that's really, I think, what he's trying to get at with that is when you accept it, that's when everything works out fine and things settle down and you move forward. But when you don't, it spirals out of control and then it can be too difficult to manage because you've let it go for so long without addressing what you need to do to resolve it. That, that, that really is poignant the way you, you articulated the, how it spiraled out of control. This one event from this one young woman suddenly becomes like a domino effect too great to handle and everyone is is relying on it as as an answer to their problems and then suddenly we're not actually dealing with reality that it really it really does sort of explode from one small thing and that that's that's the part also that really drew me to the series how quickly something like that a rumor or a, a comment or a story you tell can become so out of control and affect the people around you and, and infect the people around you. And the, the mm-hmm. paranoia agent itself, it's so aptly named, and I didn't get that till the very end of the series, how how the name actually applies to the series overall. And I guess on the subject of the ending, about, about it not being satisfying, in a sense, like, Honestly, I'm glad that it wasn't like kind of one of those wrapped up in a tight little bow endings because mm. like going like going off of, you know, what they were saying, what y'all were saying, like about how, you know, if you let your your delusions and your escapism spiral out of control and it causes everything to go, you know, bad shit. Like I actually really like that the city actually kind of stayed destroyed and because you know, someone who relates a lot to a lot of the themes prevalent in the show. Like, there's one thing I definitely know is that if you drown in your escapism for way too long, that causes like this whole big mental collapse and it takes so freaking long for that to rebuild. And because everyone, because everyone drowned in the escapism of both Little Slugger and of, um, Maromi. and of Maromi that like and it was such a widespread thing like it was like the entire country just about that 
you know, it was kind of a pretty, pretty good metaphor. You can, you can look at it that way of that big, that big overall collapse of, of that society and how it took, took a couple years for it to, to get better and to rebuild because they had to restart. Cause I was like, that whole thing was like the hard reset of like a mind, like, you know, like a mental breakdown, that kind of thing. I think too, that it's also a criticism of Japanese society. Um, that's really a message that continues to be relevant now where in Japan, if you're having problems, you're not really expected to talk about them because it disrupts the collective, uh, the collective group. You know, if you're having problems with your family or having problems with finances or whatever is causing you stress, you keep it to yourself because you don't want to disrupt your coworkers and interrupt your workflow because you're having problems. Um, and mental health is starting to emerge in Japan. You're starting to definitely get more mental health practices that are available, but it's still not as prevalent as in other countries. Um, and it still has a very negative stigma attached to it. And I think that's where Colin is coming in and saying, if you don't do something about what you're trying to run away from, instead of facing it head on and ignoring it, the consequence that follows is going to be difficult to deal with or may even totally destroy things around you mm-hmm. in multiple senses of, of that word. Mm-hmm. Amen. And yeah, he... you know, when you both put it that way, now the last episode where everything stays destroyed, just it, it ties in better to me. This is why I love having these conversations, because it makes you think about things a little differently than when you were watching it. And it kind of makes me want to go back now and watch again with with these new eyes. Yeah, the ending was amazing. Like, And this is the first time I had seen it, too, because I couldn't finish it the first time I watched this. It was so good. It made me cry. Just the relevancy and the and the timelessness of what was expressed by the conclusion of the show where, you know, um, where Detective Ikari literally smashes what's blocking him from accepting the reality that he's no longer an officer and that he still has to continue forward for the sake of his wife. You know, that that life doesn't stop just because things aren't going the way he had planned or because, you know, something devastating occurs. Mm-hmm. You got to keep moving yeah. forward. Same with Tsukiko. She's got to keep moving forward and they do. And then you have Maniwa who gets sucked into the illusion of the, what was it? The grandmaster, I think is what the copycat was calling himself yeah. and becomes radar man and actually ends up following in the path the footsteps of the older man we see in the beginning. And so that message where he's talking at the end and the final episode about how everything repeats because it does, you know, you see it's a cycle that you see all the time because everyone experiences this and everyone's experiencing it just in different points of the loop. So even though they've resolved it this time, that doesn't mean that it won't occur again. And if you look at the state of Tokyo at the end, you see that it's, just right back to basically where it was in the first episode, waiting for yet another traumatic thing to come along. Mm-hmm. The the only one that I felt didn't follow through the narrative is the one about the corrupt detective. The episode about the corrupt t- detective, uh, Masami. Uh, I I. 
if they were going to do it, they should have gone through, in my opinion, the perspective of his daughter more than him. I mean, watching watching his life fall apart, I wasn't invested. He he was a piece of shit character, and I get it, you know, trying to show bigger picture, it makes sense. But as a viewer, I just, I felt like I wasn't really drawn to the consequences of his life with this particular uh, uh, item, you know, how it affected him. So it, it was just, it just made me so uncomfortable, you know, him with all the women and, and the pedophilia and, the, and and just him taking bribes. It was just so much, so much for one character, you know, they didn't, they didn't really limit it to, to maybe one train of thought. And then they give him this daughter and the incest. And I, I definitely appreciate the dark elements and I think it gives it a more balanced, well-rounded feel, but it was like they were trying to crush all the all all the shit into one character, and I I wasn't I wasn't mm. a big fan of that. And I really hope that he turns himself around because at the end there, his daughter doesn't remember everything that's happened, and that's a questionable place to leave that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's it's uncomfortable on many, many levels because you don't trust the character and you don't know how he might take advantage of the situation. Right. I think that's something though, that Satoshi Kon is particularly skilled at. Um, the only other project of, see- of his that I've seen is perfect blue. And that's a movie that I think almost everyone has seen at this point um, where it's famous or really infamous for the graphic content and how uncomfortable it makes you feel. He's not afraid to put things in front of you and say, this is uncomfortable and it makes you feel gross, but this happens in real life. There are real people like this out there, you know, and that they're putting it right in front of you. And I think that's also something to consider when you think about the theme of escapism is that not all of your media can help you get escape from those terrible things from thinking about them. Sometimes it's going to put it right in front of you and you have to face it head on. Mm hmm. And perhaps the ultimate escapism is killing oneself. And they even have an episode about that. And I I think Alien would have a lot to say about that one. Oh, yeah. Happy family freaking planning, man. That episode just, it hurts. Like, every time I watched it, it hurts. And it's not a very easy episode to watch. Like, like Like I said in that article I wrote, Definitely not. It's a very uncomfortable episode, and for and I know and I noticed this when it aired on Tsunami for a lot of people that the way it, it was framed doesn't hit well with everybody because you know some people took it as uh, why are they joke, joking about suicide and stuff and it's just like it's not really joking about suicide. It's just like the most realistically depressing depiction of suicide I've seen in like any kind of media. I mean, how can someone fail so hard at suicide? (laughs) That's the way they kept not succeeding was a good running gag. But at the same time, you think, yeah, a lot of things could go wrong when you're attempting to do those things. And then what do you do if they, what do you do if you fail? Yeah, to make it, they made it almost, almost humorous. You know, you have this cute character who's sort of unraveling the the attempts and then everything else is going wrong and, and they're sort of forming this family unit. It, it is 
it, it's almost meant to be humorous, and it, it was uh, it was very strange watching it. I, I had to watch it again because I felt like I didn't quite get the full picture the first time. Yeah, that's what I. That's one of the things I definitely recommended. Is that um, like for everyone who didn't understand or just felt like some that there was something off, I always say that that's one episode you need to watch twice. So that way you can really soak in everything. And then because I ended up doing that when I, um, when it first showed up on Funimation back in uh, February, because it's been like forever since I had seen it. So I completely forgot about that episode and like everything that happened because the last time I had seen it was about, uh, yeah, I did not remember that 10, at all. 10 to like 10 to 12 years ago. So pretty much forgot everything. But, but then when I watched it again, I was like, wait, hold up. And then I, like when I realized that they were already dead for like the whole episode, I was like, wait, 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 wait. And I rewound, rewound it and I watched it, watched the episode again. And I'm just like, oh, 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 okay. I get it. I see. I get it now. And yeah, I had the same experience that with that too. Once I realized they've been dead the whole time. Yeah, that, like that it, definitely eye opening when you realize that at some point or another, they did die. It, and it made it. It took away the the amusement you had from watching them fail and them forming this family to just straight up, wow, it, it, it hit hard. It made me pretty sad, actually, <laughs> when I figured it out. So, But it's it's a reality. I mean, again, he's he's trying to bring the reality to the to to the series and show us, you know, where that breaks through the fantasy. So it's all part of part of what the image that Cohen's trying to to bring about when he made the series, this mishmash of ideas. Yeah, that's like that one of the things I absolutely love. Like one of the things I absolutely love about Satoshi Kon is that, that he can do this real talk thing, but he can do it in the most outlandish way possible, but still have it feel grounded. And that, and that episode I think is one of the best examples of that. I would agree. I think for that one in particular, what bothered me was the little girl. Because oh, yeah. with the two yeah. older characters, I'm like, okay, I could see how you would find your way into the suicide chat room. But this kid is in elementary school. She's like eight. And what? Where are her parents? What kind of hell is her life that she did went through this? That's the part that bothered me. Uh, who knows? Also, Kozuka was in their group. Yeah. In, yep. in their chat group, the, the guy who thought he was a little slugger. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was a perfect way to tie up that that little arc and then it kind of makes sense what happens what actually happened to him like in that cell that once you get to that episode you're just like oh oh that's what happened okay with how he ended up you know actually killing himself after doing what he said he would do he's like i'm gonna leave a mark and i'm gonna do something amazing now another episode that i really appreciated was what i would like to call Shiro Bako, if everybody died. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Yeah, it's it's since the the beginning of this show was about the rise of Moromi and how an animated series would be coming along fairly soon. It's interesting to get a look into the production of the Moromi cartoon and all the difficulties that came along with it and particularly some production coordinator being an absolute failure at everything <laughs> and not wow. wanting to take responsibility for anything. 
until uh, pretty much everybody at the studio has been killed by Little Slugger due to their uh, constant feeling of being boxed in. And uh, eventually they do manage to get the tape on the air, but <laughs> what a journey. But that's a really interesting episode in the way that they frame it. It's another one that you might have to watch more than once to really understand uh, at least the sequence of events because it's sort of jumbled and out of order because he's constantly phasing in and out of different moments. But I certainly My take was that it. his delusion made him go and kill the other staff so that he would may give himself the importance that like he was he was in that instance still a little slugger that that was i could be wrong but that was what i thought when i watched it that that he was doing all this himself but but hmm. of course his delusion is a little slugger i don't think and he's it, capable of that <laughs> it's possible i i was i was having a hard time trying to unwrap that, that episode yeah, I don't know, because he was getting very frustrated when people were berating him, because he's the really he's the core person that coordinates everybody. So he's the one who has to deliver the bad news about such and such project happening, and he keeps making mistakes. So clearly, he at least for this instance, he's not very good at it. That doesn't mean that he wasn't before, but for some reason with this project, it's just Murphy's Law. Everything that's going wrong and can affect production is happening, and it's all happening at the same time. So... I wouldn't be surprised, especially because when he's in the car ride, he seems to be going in and out of consciousness. Mm. If he was getting angry when he was going to get things from people or facing people and then was taking them out. Mm. And he didn't, obviously he didn't realize it through his delusion. That, that was just the impression that I had from, from my first watch. You might and he right. did have this kind of sort of God complex about him. Yeah, he yeah. did. At yeah, he the was end, like, yeah. He's like, I'm I'm the one that's running this. I got I'm like this show won't happen without me. Mm-hmm. And after and after everyone you know gets on his case and after him screwing up over and over again and the production being a disaster and all that gets placed on him, he just got tired of it and he just said, "Screw all of you." Yeah. I still find it funny though how at the end when he's just like dead on the ground and everyone's just like, "Oh my god." That might be some uh, commentary on the whole process of getting anime on the air, I think. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. That was a fantastic scene. Because <laughs> it was so hilarious and disturbing at the same time. Right. Well, and then after all of that happens in the following, one of the later episodes, when Tsukiko's being interviewed on TV... They're talking about how the anime has made its debut yeah. and they're starting and the next episodes will be coming soon after. So even though a big chunk of their production staff, like their core production staff, have died, it's still pushing forward <laughs> like it didn't even happen. It's like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That's the machine for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nobody's making a big deal about all these people being dead. Yeah. Anime That's industry great. be like that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And we uh we made some connections to 
uh, how people might be feeling in quarantine and how interesting is it that this is the time when Toonami plays this show? Absolutely. Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I doubt they planned it that way, but <laughs> it just made much, it just made too much that sense. Because I mean, I mean, like, because they got the li- Funimation got the license back in like February, so you know there there was a good chance that they might have already considered airing it. But then all of this happened, and they're just like, "Wow, this is good timing." Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I have to ask Jason about that someday. Yeah, if if that was on purpose, I a part of me thinks it was. <laughs> I certainly thought as I was watching it that that somehow this is thematically appropriate. Very thematically appropriate. Not not in a way that I can fully articulate either. It just maybe the whole theme of of a delusion getting out of control and reality clashing with it and people not managing things. I don't know. A couple, there's a couple different things you could unwrap there, but somehow it just felt like, okay, this is really the right time to be watching this. Also, mm-hmm. we have nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. So we have all the time in the world to analyze it. <laughs> Not like there's been that many other shows airing on Tsunami lately. <laughs> It was a good one to bring back. It, it was good because I think the 15-year uh, um, well, what not hiatus isn't the appropriate word, but 15 years between yeah. when they first aired it and yeah. airing it now is a good chunk of time because as the as all of us have pointed out, we were in a completely different maturity level when we watched it, as are most of the the most of the tsunami viewers now and then. So. It's a it's a good chunk of time to come bring it back and, and reevaluate and also um, I think it's not as well known of a series so it's kind of one of those hidden gems that Tsunami has played so I, I'm really glad that they picked this to bring back and for us to think about and even though it's not as flashy as some of the other series um, it 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 makes you think about, you know, some of Cohn's other work, and and I I like the way that that Toonami's pushing some of these more cerebral series on the block. So I I, I have to say it was good timing. It was really fun going through people's tweets while the show was airing and seeing people who were watching it for the first time. Yeah, there were definitely people who had seen it before when it aired previously, or watching it some other way when it was in print prior to Funimation getting it. Um, but people who were watching it for the first time and just constantly seeing tweets that are like, wait, what, what just happened? I don't understand what's going on. And the amount of shock and surprise, it was really fun seeing people enjoy it for the first time and getting to solve the mystery with the, with the core characters. Yeah, I agree. Right, this while is... I was still in... Oh, go ahead. I said, while I was still in the Tanami Faithful Discord, I would just, Going to the live watch channel every week just to see people who had who hadn't seen the show before react to it, and it just killed me every single week because all their reactions were priceless. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm just like, I want to tell you what happened, but that's spoilers. <laughs> wait, just you wait, just you wait. Yeah, this is a great show to watch in a community fashion. I feel because I there's plenty of things to dis- discuss about. Every episode, I don't know, maybe at some point when we have the opportunity to do so, we could potentially do an episode-to-episode discussion on this show, because it's definitely 
got the meat on the bones. But we didn't do that this time because it's it's an older show and it's completed and it's aired on Adult Swim before. Mm-hmm. But maybe we should have. I don't know. But I, I think this has been a great conversation and I, I hope folks enjoyed listening to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope people who may have been uncomfortable watching it will go back and either a give it a, a second chance if they didn't finish it or, or go and watch it again because sometimes some some thoughtful anime can be uh, a good experience and it can make it can it can help later when you're watching other things it can help you sort of think more analytically in, in a positive way maybe and, and unravel things. So, which I always, I'm an analyst, so I always think that. <laughs> Just think overanalyzing is a good idea, even though it's not. But yeah, yeah, give it a second chance. If you haven't watched it, watch it again. Um, there's a lot of interesting visuals that connect to the, the action, and that's the part that makes it such a great series, is how uh, it's sort of manifesting the fantasies into physical form, and and, and it's the, the running theme throughout the whole series. So pay attention to that if you watch again. I think if people are experiencing Satoshi Kon for the first time through Paranoia Agent, that I would like them to seek out his other works as well. After watching this and then also watching Perfect Blue, it's really solidified for me his skill as a storyteller because there aren't very many directors that can go from movies to TV and have it still work out really well. Um, this is actually a conversation I was having with my boyfriend the other day when we were talking about Satoshi Kon films, is I can't really think of any other director in anime, at least in recent memory, that can do that, because telling a story for a two-hour movie is not the same as a 12- or 13-episode TV series. And it still feels like Kon was able to achieve what he wanted with his story, with the greater overarching uh, plot of Little Slugger, plus the smaller episodic things in between that still connected it all together. Mm. I think it's a it's a big testament to his skill. And if you haven't seen anything else by Kon, you should definitely go watch his other movies, too. I think director wise, the only other one that I can think of that can that has done both TV and movies with like very consistent quality would probably be. Probably be, be um, Masaaki Yuasa. Masaaki Yuasa is also very good at that stuff. The guy who, um, mm-hmm. Devil Man Cry Baby, Keep Your Eyes Up, Azoken, um, Mind Game, you know, that weird movie that Tsunami aired for the April Fools. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Ride Your Wave. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Both I of just them saw very... Ride Your Wave. It was fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. I love that movie. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. I still yeah. think, though, that my favorite description of Paranoia Agent, I saw this on YouTube, and it, it just makes so much sense. It's just, kid gets depressed and fuckery ensues. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best way to sum it up in, like, a single sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or um, Ikari's quote in the last episode, I can't believe the world's about to end all because of a goddamn puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, butterfly effect, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that'll do it for this conversation. Let me get the 
house cleaning out of the way. You can email us at podcast at tunamipeople.com and follow us on facebook.com backslash Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast. You can listen to the podcast on just about everything, including iTunes, Google Music, Spotify. You can find every episode of the podcast to stream online at soundcloud.com backslash Podcast. And get the latest news followed by by following Toonami News on Twitter and read the news, views, and reviews on ToonamiFaithful.com. You can also subscribe to Toonami Faithful Pass at Patreon.com backslash ToonamiFaithful if you want to help us out and uh, make sure that we can keep producing content. And I stumbled over that a little bit, so it's at Toonami News on Twitter. That is, uh, that's where... We post things first, basically. Any kind of news bite, we post it first there. And then they might uh, post some kind of article on the website. Depending on uh, what it is. Alright, let's uh, get on out of here. So, Celia, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Planets Twinkle and on Facebook at Celia Rose Cosplay. And Kuro, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Happy Kuro Kitty, um, and also anything that's on Tsunami News website or Tsunami News. Uh, please comment, share articles. I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. And Alien, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Alien Renegade. You can also find my Tsunami-based edits on YouTube under Alien Renegade videos, and you can also check out my music, which I make a whole bunch of Tanami-inspired beats. Just search up Amp Ren on any streaming service, or on YouTube or SoundCloud. Sadly, I'm not on the website anymore, but, I mean, who knows, you might see me pop up here and there. Oh, I think you're good as a special guest every now and then. Like the Green Ranger on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I love the Green Ranger. <laughs> Who doesn't love the Green Ranger? I mean, come on. I like that. I like that description. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm just the guy that shows up and kicks everyone's ass and then leaves for a couple episodes. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's gonna show up with his paddle. Yes. And speaking of Paul, you can find my co-host Paul Pascrillo on Twitter at Paul Pascrillo. And uh, check out the Toonami Faithful Discord for Discord, I guess. <laughs> that, that sums it up. They do live chats. They do voice chats. They talk about games. Um, it's a pretty uh, rich environment for connecting with other Toonami fans if you're interested. And we also play a lot of Switch games, which is good times. Yeah. Mm. So we all got Switches. Love my Switch. And you can find me on Twitter at Sketch1984. So if you wanted to share your thoughts on Paranoia Agent, you can, again, email us at podcast at tsunamifaithful.com. If they're worth reading, we might read them on a future podcast. And uh, until then, thank you for listening each and every time we put out a podcast. And with that, we're punching out. Watch out for bent baseball bets. Cue Paper Cut by Linkin Park. <laughs>
Okay, that's good. That was a good one. I'll give you that one.